Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live. Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where we have the big names and we have the big fun. I think that's how we do these introductions. Good afternoon. Good evening. How are we? Hey, how's it going, Belinda? I'm well, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> Scotty Agate, how are you, mate? I'm always good. Thanks for having me again tonight. I'm looking forward to chatting with Belinda and you, Joey. No, I'm, uh, I'm excited for this. I hope I did the introduction well. Jeff is full energy, comes full force out of these, uh, out of these uh, introductions. So I hope I'm giving it a little bit of, little bit of a pump up. But I am, um, I'm, excited. I'm excited for tonight because, I mean, collectively, there is a lot of knowledge in the property space, uh, decades and decades of experience. Um, so I am excited to unpack some of that with the with the two of you guys. Um, Belinda is the guest. Scott Agate is is a bit of a host, but uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of th- question, a, a number of questions thrown his way as well. Um, but um, so what far, I wanted I'm to a chat about, and you've you've nailed us both very in an ageist way as well. So it's a lovely introduction so <laughs> far. You've really nailed it. When's Jeff back? Is it next week? <laughs> Jeff is back, I hope, next week um, if the show continues and doesn't get cancelled, uh, which, <laughs> which will probably happen. But decades of experience. I'm not, it's not, I wish, you know, it is true. You guys are bloody experts and I'm excited to have you here. Um, uh, let's have a, let's dive in a little bit of a conversation. What are your guys' thoughts? Um, so I've been hearing a lot in the media about, um, you know, building costs have been blowing out over COVID. It went absolutely bananas and gangbusters. But I'm starting to hear um, some some whispers that, oh, my gosh, it's coming back. It's, you know, it's done a full U-turn. I mean, what are your guys' kind of thoughts on that? Um, personally, uh, I think, and through the guys that I have in my group who are renovating and also me doing my own, um, I think that builders here and there, depends where you are, are a little bit more available than they were compared to, you know, how hot it was a while ago. But I think the build cost is not yet coming down because of the product, just the price of obtaining product. And the lead time on product right now is still right out there. So whereas we used to kind of wait, you know, three to six weeks on things, now it's six to 12 weeks and that's just the norm. Um, I've got a 14-week wait, uh, wait on my window order. Uh, wow. So, yeah, you know, there's... Yeah, long, long what are the main time. what are the main material drags at the moment? So windows is one. Um, previously, it was trusses. When I was yeah, looking at this you know, nine to twelve months ago, it was trusses that was a really big delay. Well, is there anything other other than that in terms of material wise that's really dragging the heels? Well, I, I think that I'm really open to going to straight to a plan B, and I think that's the key too, Scott. If you can't get what you can't get, you look straight at what's available rather than what's your preferred option. And don't be stubborn about it. So I think that's a key component to keeping a job moving. But there's a long wait time on everything. And I can't see that finishing too soon or getting better. And I'm talking it for a couple of years. I really can't see that improving. So uh, brown laminate kitchens and coming back into trend. (laughs) (laughs) Readily available. Not in my place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but I, I think that, you know, the sensible thing to do is if you've fallen in love with a bathroom vanity and it's your must-have and there's a long wait time on it, you walk around the shop and you pick another one and you do it really yeah. swiftly and that's the only way to play it. I don't think we have any choice if you want to get a job finished. So I that's think, it. yeah, there's the tradies, depending on where you are, unless they've got a whole bunch of insurance work, um, like Lismore and places like that, you still can't get them. But there are pockets around to Sydney. It's much, much easier now than it was um in particular but uh yeah who knows I, I think weight on product and and the cost of product is is going to be an ongoing issue yeah I and mean, that's the biggest biggest thing of cost isn't it like the wait time of holding up a project is massive massively expensive yeah yeah huge if you've got trades to sit around twiddling their thumbs um yeah does that mean belinda that your clients would look at like is there a a, a balance now where people might look at prefab steel instead of timber framework and things like that. Is that a viable alternative or is the cost of steel still really priced out and you've got to wait for the timber? Oh, look, it's one, it's, it's, it's your preference. It's whether you want to wait or whether you're prepared to pay the extra. So yeah, okay. both of those things are true. Yeah. And yeah. Is many of your, your students building new or is it mainly renovation work? We mainly do renos. And here's the thing, if you're on purpose going to select a property to renovate, you might choose one that just needs cosmetic fixing and not so much a big structural renovation where you'll be waiting on those materials. I think it's time to be a little bit more precise and a bit more careful about the type of job you take on, knowing that this is the environment, you can't change the environment, but you can change the choice of property. That's really interesting because this has been a, uh, I'm sure, Joe, this has affected you with, with both what we do day to day. Regionally, we're looking at properties and, um, you know, things like, for example, one recent one that I just bought a house in Rockhampton, quite a lot of houses in that region have had um, damage to the roof over the last whatever years. And most of the owners haven't touched those houses. They're just sitting there in pretty average condition and dated. Um, when you get to the building and pest and you see that there's some problems with it, um, the owners are going back through their insurance and I've just had one where they've been able to get the whole roof replaced, but they're just giving us the discount rather than replacing the roof because the insurance, the insurance companies can't find any trades locally. So it's really um, interesting how it's affecting, in, you know, in regional areas as well in terms of access to trades, access to materials. So it's definitely going to come into the asset selection discussion for people building their investment portfolios, <laughs> but also clearly your students are already at that point where they're picking and choosing the right ones. But I tell you what's saving my students at the moment is the lack of stock on the market when it comes to the point of sale and, and them presenting a really beautiful home that is all finished and the real estate agents and everybody else who are selling or representing that property being able to say, hey, guys, you know, here's this property. It's already done. You don't need to go and find product or tradies. This is already done. So those finished homes are selling really, really well. So that's, that's what's saving everyone. Yeah, that's really interesting because we're having, um, and I know, you know, we we talk about this all the time, Joe, on on the live here, but there's markets within markets, right? Um, Where I am locally on the Gold Coast, I was looking to develop my um, subdivided plot into two nice houses. And the agents are telling me, um, separate to my own project, but just telling me um, general market feedback that it's the odd, the strangest market that they've ever sold in here. Um, there's a real disconnect for that point that you just said between people that are prepared to pay um, a premium for a finished product versus, you know, the unrenovated ones. And what's actually happening on the Gold Coast at the moment is 
the properties that are finished or brand new built are, aren't actually going for a big premium from what I can tell. Um, they, they, they should be. It makes all sense that those ones would be in really high demand. For some reason, they're just not setting the world on fire at the top end of the market that I can see. And yet the unrenovated ones are just being left there on the shelf as well and no one wants land. I've been trying to sell land um, and there's just no demand for the land as well. So it's this real polarising market where on the Gold Coast in that kind of premium market around, or not premium, but um, probably in that kind of $1.5 million for a block of land up to about $4 million for a finished product, not quite premium in certain markets in the Gold Coast, but definitely upper end, is just yeah. in this, um, you know, frozen frozen stage which i've never seen before it's really odd super interesting okay well we'll unpack a lot of this when we um dive deeper in let's let's do our little quotes of the week um belinda what is your quote of the week what riles you up what gets you excited what what gets me excited yeah well be a quote (laughs) my quote my quote is okay so this is because you kind of said that I'm old without saying that I'm old, saying that I have deep experience. So to that point, Abraham Lincoln said, (laughs) in the end, it's no years. (laughs) Back in the day when we were sitting having coffee. Um, in the end, (laughs) it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. There you go. I might be dead in a week, so I thought I'd say that because it's pretty important. <laughs> I would feel very guilty if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. it's very true. Football Gotta live. Yeah. Gotta live. Yeah. Gotta live. No, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Scotty Agar, what about you, mate? What's your quote of the week? Well thought through quote of the week. Don't let yesterday take up too much of today. Oh. Yeah, don't dwell on the past. Just rip in. I didn't want to butcher the author's quote. That last bit was me. Yeah. Uh, my husband said one day, he's not very wise, but he said <laughs> one day, and it fascinated me. I went, oh, that sounds really But What do you say? The windshield is very, very big, but the rear vision mirror is very, very small. Look forward. And I thought, oh, the smartest, <laughs> the smartest thing he said in 37 years. That's very good. <laughs> That is, like that is, should be on a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Use them in proportion, right? Um, yeah, my quote is actually very similar to yours, Belinda. Mine says, uh, do not let making a living prevent you from making a life. That's from John Woden. Um, don't let a living prevent you from making a life. And I see this all the time, actually. I, I, was, I was a part of this when I was working. I worked hard. I was the head of sales for a legal tech company. I was working many, many crazy hours. And, um, you know, it can, you can just do that thing. You can just be, keep doing the thing um, and not focus on, well, am I living? Am I, am I investing in my future? What, what, am I, what are you doing, you know? Um, so I, that's my little, my little quote. Um, nice. Okay, well, I'm excited for tonight. So actually, what are we talking about tonight? I'm going to give you a little sneak preview. We are talking about the skills you need to nail your property investing. That is going to be with the amazing Belinda Smith and Scott Agate from Hello House, um, who is going to be uh, help covering Jeff. Um, but uh, I'm excited for this one. I am excited. We're going to introduce Belinda soon. But before we do that, we need to go into, oh, is this one Hello House's sponsored post, The Beautiful oh, Man? Oh. I hope so. (laughs) 
There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought, but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course which is a step-by-step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. Unreal. Very true. Very true. Scotty Agate. If anyone wants that course, well, I just told you all about it. So uh, go ahead and sign up. Um, so yeah, I'm going to introduce <laughs> I'm going to introduce the amazing Belinda Smith here. Um, if you guys don't know who Belinda is, um, she is an absolute expert, founder of Renovate and Real Estate Consultancy Collective, known as Rare. You have over 30 years experience in renovation, real estate, finance, accounting. So you're multifaceted. You're looking at the world from not just the angle of property, but also the numbers, which are some of the more important um, factors. But we're going to cover up a whole heap of things tonight. You were featured on Sky Business News. You were in all the magazines. Um, you have the Renovators Secret Program, if, uh, if, I'm, not, if I'm not too wrong. Renovation um, and Mastery. Renovation Mastery. Mastery. The mastery program, um, and uh, and you're an absolute expert in the field. So the reason I wanted to have you on is because we have expert. We have people that are starting their journey um, in the group, um, and we have people that are well along the way. So I think that this is going to be a great session that's going to help new property investors. Like, what the heck do I do? But also people that are stuck right we hit that serviceability wall what do we do i still have money i'm still making income i still have borrowing ability i still well i might not have borrowing ability but i i still have money to do something um so i want to unpack all of that but um first i wanted to dive in a little bit let's take us back belinda give us a bit of a run to, run through on your um property investing journey ah, okay so um i was in the police force copper for about 21 years my husband was a mechanic and I remember when we first met we knew our incomes weren't all that flash compared to some of our friends who went to uni and 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 hit some really nice paychecks straight out of the gate and it became really evident to us that if we were going to start we'd have to start small and renovate and build that way. I'd also seen mum and dad do a renovation when I was growing up. I thought it was the most boring thing I'd ever been involved in as a kid, working on this house every weekend. 
Um, but I appreciated the journey and I appreciated the uh, path that they set for me and the possibilities that they cemented. I knew that you could, you know, get something old, turn it into something nice and make some money along the way. So, yeah, Brett and I grabbed a unit at Cronulla in about 1986. That tells you how old we are. As two youngsters. So we renovated that. We flipped that in about 18 months, moved into it. Then we bought a block of land. Then we built alongside a builder. A builder moved into the block of, onto the block of land in his caravan and said, if you accommodate me, if you accommodate me and my wife, I'll stay here uh, for as long as it takes to build the house, but you guys got to help us build. Uh, I just, it was such a gift to build a house wow. from the ground up. So we learned a lot. And Hubby, Brett, who's a mechanic, was just He's just got one of those minds where he understands how things fit together. So we just built alongside this builder. I'd be on afternoon shift or night shift and we'd build all day. And he was the same. He was on shift work, so we just built. So that was probably our second property. And then that grew in equity. And then we started to think about investing. We were always a little bit restricted by our wages, but we went to a bank and they said, no, we won't lend you. But then somebody else said yes. So I think tenacity is one of the things, just not to take the first no as a that's it you're done but to yeah. take it as a, I, I just thought you're not going to tell me whether I can invest or not like I got cranky so we just kind of went further um, and at the same time we did some property education courses we built another house an investment property as soon as I got the funds through we built another house and then I did some um, serious education around property investing and we heard then that we could buy property with they called it no money down a few thousand I'm talking about but basically not much which suited us because we had some equity by this point but we definitely didn't have any cash and we went and bought so like we kind of just do things we bought seven houses in the next 18 months wow. we just, you know when you go to those conferences and they teach you a strategy and people go oh that sounds amazing but they don't do it um, Hubby and I got outside and we said, okay, we can do this, let's just go. And we did without really thinking. We thought everybody in that room would go out and do it and that there'd be a rush <laughs> on properties. I don't know what we thought. So we just went and did it. So we bought seven houses in the next 18 months. And we've got most of those, but they just kind of set us up. You know, we started to juggle around and renovate the occasional one and and um, we looked at cash flow. Cash flow was really important. So we were trying to buy positively geared properties back then. And we bought a couple in New Zealand that have gone up beautifully in value over the years. One of them is desperate. Well, actually, both of them, <laughs> both of them <laughs> are in desperate need of a renovation. Shame on me as a renovator not to have. I haven't been over there in about 15 years. I haven't even seen yeah, them. New Zealand. They were in Vicargal, okay. the town where no one visits, right down south. Everyone goes. <laughs> Dunedin, straight across, anywhere else, but they don't visit Invercargill. But the returns back in those days were really good, and they still are. And we've made really good money out of those properties, just holding. Well, on I don't think I, I don't think you can claim interest on um, your your uh, loans anymore. Uh, sorry, uh, the for a tax return. Um, sorry, my am I echoey right now? No, you know no what way. I do, Joe? I, I let my New Zealand tax accountant do his thing. And then yeah. I hand it to my Australian tax account and they do their thing. And we've owned them for that long now. I probably, like, there's no depreciation. Yeah. 
So, anyway. <laughs> I feel like I stumbled a lot there, but no, the interest repayments, um, it, the, the uh, interest repayments aren't tax deductible anymore. It's what I've heard from over there in New Zealand, but I don't own in New Zealand and I'm not invested in New Zealand. So just an interesting thing I heard uh, today, actually. Um, so uh, what kind of, what led you to New Zealand? Like you had seven properties here in Australia. Why'd you ship off over there and... Because what we, what we did was listen, uh, well, we chased some returns. We chased positive cash flow. That's what we did. But we mm. had, we, money was always, our income was always going to be an issue, which, which obviously we're going to talk about a little bit further on. I think there's quite a few facets in relation to being a successful property investor and you have to look after your income. So it's either coming from the property portfolio you've built or you've got to either look at your own wages and try and get those increased or think about going into a business that allows you to earn more money. But I truly believe that to become mm. very, very successful in property, you need to keep fueling the fire. Mm. You need to be able to keep doing more and more in some way, joint ventures, whatever, but you need to keep momentum. And would you buy again in different countries now or were you really focused oh. on local I've been tempted many times to buy in the States and I've always thought, no, I'm not going to do that because I actually just don't like um, the management of property in too many different locations and and the implications on, um, you know, getting all your books to work back here. So not I've been tempted, but no, can't be bothered. Nice. Nice. I'm a bit lazy. What about you, Scott? You you wanted to venture out in the US? Well, I mean, actually, New Zealand... uh, Japan, you own a ski lodge in Japan, so that counts. Yeah, I've got two ski lodges and another empty commercial building in in Japan at the moment, and I've bought uh, two places in London where I lived um, when I was in my early 20s. Um, So I've done two countries overseas, but, yeah, I I would definitely go and buy in New Zealand as well. My wife's from Christchurch and her family are there, so we wouldn't be adverse to buying investment property if the numbers stacked up in New Zealand, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm more focused having uh, you bought at the right time and you bought for cash flow and you did really well out of it and bought smart. I did the complete, you know, dumb thing and, and bought uh, great fun assets, but, um, you know, good while the times were great, but then COVID hit and no income at all because it was shut. So it's it's the opposite of what you just said. It's been a cash drain for me. We'll do well out of it from a capital growth perspective, but poorly from a cash flow perspective. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely not not some good investment advice, but good for what you guys kind of referred to before, like, you know, living in the day and, and having fun <laughs> and making the most of now. It's definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's, well, can you do both? Is it, is it possible to do both? I think so. Uh, but I guess that's what a lot of, you, you know, what do your students do, Belinda, is, is renovate and they enjoy renovating. So you do get that, you do get that fun and, and joy out of it as well. Yeah, renovating is a roller coaster ride of um, enjoyments. There are some days <laughs> where you just think, "Oh," <laughs> and then uh, I think the the enjoyment comes with the fulfilment of seeing a final product. That's that's the big um, endorphin. Is that the word? Yeah, the, the adrenaline hit, the endorphins. Yeah. That's that's when they really kick in. Is when you walk through a property that you've worked hard on, and that's all finished and styled, and it's ready ready for the market and you just think you know there's a significance attached to that or a feeling of pride fulfillment all of that um so yeah that's part of it and i think that's what keeps people coming back a little bit as well as the profit i think if you don't make any money or i i 
I don't do anything unless, unless I'm not, unless I'm making money. Um, but if you don't make money out of a renovation, if you buy the wrong house or do the wrong type of renovation or overcapitalize, I really don't think that there's the same kind of joy. And therefore, that's when you speak to people and they say, "Oh, renovation was terrible. I, I'll, I'll only do one. I'll never do that again." You know, their attitude is completely different. So I think there has to be a monetary return as well as the personal fulfillment. Yeah. But the fulfillment I found from doing it quite a few times as well is can, it's not only that finished bit, which is the wow, which I totally agree with you in. It's all styled up and, and looks amazing, ready for the photos or for buyers to come through. It's really exciting. But there's so many stages along the way as well that I get almost a similar feeling. The first one is that, you know, planning ahead, that excitement of what it could be and visualising it in your head. And then I yeah. love when it's completely gutted and stripped back to like how, you know, the light just pulls yeah. in and you're like, this is really exciting. And then when the plasterboard goes up and then when the paint goes on the plasterboard and you can really see the shape of it and the size of it, there's so many little like, you know, closing windows along the way as you work towards that final product. It is really rewarding, I think, and fun. I'm glad you said that. I had a phone call from a lady who had really wanted to renovate for quite a while and she just didn't feel ready. She was a bit scared of the whole process really. But she went through the stages and she bought this property. She ripped it apart and she rang me and said, Belinda, I'm sitting on the floor of the kitchen. I've ripped out everything. I've completely scrapped the internals of this house and I've never felt happier. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought, Oh, okay, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how how yeah, quick and easy demo up. is. Yeah. 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 Was, yeah. But just, then you feel like you're right in it as well, though, don't you? Like once you've you've undone it, you've got to put it back together somehow. Yeah. So it's kind of that feeling of, all right, we're in this. It's like a, you know, it's a real spur of the moment thing. Like you're right there, you've got to do it and you just get on with it. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's great fun doing those projects. Yeah. 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 Well, I get – Sorry? I said she's done five in a really short amount of time now, so she really does get it. She likes all of it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess today's about like uh, what skills investors need um, yeah. to to nail property investing. Um, but I guess uh, you've got some you've got some slides here. So do we want to kind of cover off some of those spitball on some of the ideas that you've got? We had this start side still climbing the property ladder by strategy, not energy. I was intrigued by what what exactly does this mean? That's me. Okay, so I see a lot of people frantically being busy in the property space, working really hard, particularly in the renovation space. It's like known for this, where people just go flat out nonstop. I'll pick a property and they'll go flat out. And I just think just slow it down, be, do, make slower, more strategic moves, make every move a winner, just calm the farm. And, and I think that that's really important because people wear themselves out. They just wear out and there's no yeah. reason for that. And they try and DIY everything. You know, they'll buy a, a place that's in appalling condition and, yeah. and they say to themselves, I'm not going to hire anybody to do this. I'm going to do everything. And they are completely worn out by the end of their renovation. And I think that doesn't leave any energy for another one and another one. And the profit really mm -hmm. is in leveraging your time and leveraging all of your knowledge and your resources and doing it again. So are they mm. rushing to do lots of projects or are they rushing just to cut corners, you know, like get the, get it done as fast as they possibly can because of the cost? Okay, so they're rushing um, to get it back on the market because of the holding costs usually. Yep. But at the same time, they make this promise to themselves that they're going to learn to DIY or DIY and sometimes they take a lot of energy going through tasks 
that a tradie will come and do in a few hours. They've got to yeah. learn it and they've got to, you know, they, they might be new on the <laughs> tools if they're cutting tiles and they haven't done that before and all these things that just really actually slow people down and make them tired and and I it, it makes yeah, me tired. I want to do everything. I want to do mm. everything. I want to save money by not paying tradies so I'm going to do everything myself without really yeah. looking at the consequences of where their time's best spent. And we'll talk about that tonight too, about leveraging your time. Like if you're earning a lot of money in a day job, like Brett and I yeah. didn't in our day job. Like we were, our time was probably best spent building equity in homes because our properties outperformed our day jobs all day long and did for years. So, but a lot of people earn significant money and it astounds me that they'll take time off a job that can produce really good income to go to a property and and they're painting and I think you can get anybody to paint. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and also it drags out the time frame, right? Oh, like I've seen people. Yeah. I have my literally my ne- my next door neighbor. He's doing a renovation project, and he just, we just mentioned it in passing as we crossed. I'm like, oh great, how's it going? He's like, oh mate, so much work we've got doing this. I'm like, you know, two months later, great. How much did that reno sell for? He's like, mate, oh, we're still doing it. What do you mean sell for? We haven't even. We're halfway through the thing, and and everything keeps popping up. I'm like, so you're doing everything? He's like, yeah, I'm driving down there to the central coast. It takes me two hours and blub. And and like in my head, I of course didn't want to say this to him, but it's like every single day is like a hundred to two hundred dollars to three hundred dollars stuff isn't getting done and he works he's he's butt out for five days and then he goes on the weekends to try and finish up the job but that's like 300 600 like you're getting up in there in price and you think you're saving money by doing it all yourself but you're absolutely uh absolutely not and there are some ways to actually that's a great question what are some of the more interesting ways that we can save money on on some renovations uh for some of the work that we do like one that a little trick and tactic that i used um and uh is go to bunnings and buy all the electrical packs that you need like the light switch and all of that stuff um get a sparky and say hey mr sparky you know how much is it per hour to to have you? And he's like, oh, it'll cost $90, $110, whatever it is. Great. Can I have you for four hours installing switches? Um, and then he'll go around and doing all of that. What I did previously was, hey, Mr. Sparky, how much will it cost to, you know, do all the electrical switches in my house? He said $1,000 or $1,200. I was like, oh, that's expensive. I'm going to call another guy and try a different strategy. And uh, I paid $250 or $300 or something for a job that would have cost me $1,200. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's little tips and tricks like that. Uh, but what, what do you see, Belinda? I mean, you see it so, all. Although, no, you're spot on. So back in the back in the day, Brad and I call it. We we still refer it as or refer to it as old school renovating. For us, it's what we how we started, and that is doing exactly that. You just set stuff up as much as you can. Or even when we were building our house, the builder used to say, "I'll just sign off on this." Just, you know, this is what I want you to do and this is how far apart the noggin should be and da-da-da-da-da. And we kind of just, we were just going for it and he was just checking and signing off and checking and signing off. Saved us a ton of money. Um, and But we would do everything like that, just just buy the light switches, have someone installed. And even like the light fittings, I'd be shopping at one place and shopping at another place and picking up bargains left, right and centre. Whereas, and this can be the issue, my current renovation, the council... Um, or the approval is I have to have a builder because it's a it's virtually a development, right? So if yeah. Red and I were to go and do my current renovation, at, like owner builder style like we used to, 
I reckon I'd cut $300,000 off our finished price easily, like that much. We've got a lot to do and I'm looking at this cost plus margin quote and even a fixed price quote that we had a couple of those come in and there's a lot of um, places. Yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah. Always, always. I love the comments that you said um, back to me off air before that you like to cut corners when you renovate and and, uh, you don't do waterproofing and you don't do insulation and things that are behind the walls where no one can see it after you sell it. Tell us more about that. Okay, so what I meant by that is (laughs) (laughs) we don't have anything properly. You're going to get me sent to jail here, Scott. Okay, we don't have anything properly. We don't actually cut corners when it comes to legality and we get people in to do the waterproofing. But what I, what I like people to do when they're renovating is focus on making changes that other people are going to notice, that your buyer is going to be captivated by and not fiddle-diddle with stuff that no one cares about. So, um, oh, for example, one of my students said, I need to put up a really nice petition uh, to hide the garbage bins where they are and it was just an extra thing. They've already got so much to do. And I said, don't build a petition to hide the garbage bins. Put your garbage bins behind the shed. Let the new owner work out where they want to put the garbage bins and they can build a petition. So it's just always been conscious about do I really need to do this? Is a buyer going to notice? Where's my time best spent? How can I get the product for less and the labour for less and yet get a really nice magazine-worthy looking result? That's when people stretch out their profit margins. And it's just having an awareness, like an emotionless awareness of what you're doing. I find a lot of people because they can paint really well, and I'm I'm the guilty with the paint because I love to paint. Um, I could do it for a living. I just love it. I just go to another place. So well, it's not where my time's best spent, right? So doing a puzzle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on that on that one, then. So if you if you're choosing a if you're really smart about where you're spending the money and you're not going yeah. OTT in terms of those areas, does that hone you in on your asset selection going forward like will you choose um, where i'm going with this is would you choose to say just renovate apartments or just renovate older homes or whatever the the you know format is that you like best because you know that the right materials will work in that scenario all the time whereas i think i could come undone going from renovating a unit and trying to pick the right floors for that and the right light fittings and things versus renovating a five-bedroom house that's, you know, at a different level and I'd get stuck between what level of finishes are required for what. There, there seems to be a confusion because as an agent for many years, you'd, I'd see, you know, I'd walk into these properties and, and people would be so proud about the renovation they do and they'd be in a $3 million terrace house or a $2 million terrace house in Surrey Hills and they will have done an Ikea renovation with, you know, laminate floors and ruined all, ripped all the period features out of the house and just destroyed the house. And then I'd do, you know, the opposite of that and go into a small apartment block in a dated building and someone had had Versace taps, you know, and way OTT in the other direction. Like there's a fine line between getting that right. If you're renovating for a career you know, or you're doing this on the side to supplement your salary and things like that, as, as you and Brett did, is it good to stick with the same format? So you've really got a good idea of kind of what you need to spend in the materials and things that you select? Yeah, everything you've said is spot on. If you if, if somebody loves, say, character homes in South Australia, for example, and they choose that same kind of home, then naturally they're going to be able to repeat some of their favourite fixtures and fittings because 
similar type of home, similar type of fitting. They get kind of a brand look. And I think that's the only time you can repeat things. Other yep. than that, there's a difference between doing a character home. You're, you, you're bang on when you said people rip out all the character and it drives me crazy because that's what sells a home for more. So, you know, you, you do do a home like that completely different than you do a unit, completely different than you do a home on the coast or a home in a country area. So it's just having consideration to the type of home that you're doing. And, and here's the thing. If, I think that someone should select the home first knowing their skills and their strengths and the type of renovating they like to do. And if they do that, then they're more likely to produce good quality renovations in a timely manner and just get really good at their craft if they do that rather than popping from one type of property to um, another. Unless you are a designer or you've got some really good free-flowing talents. Okay. Well, I like that because it lets you hone in then on the asset style. and Yeah, and- yeah around that and not you know build deep domain experience so is there a magic formula like is is it you know and i know there's the markets within markets thing that we've spoken about um and there's a million different opportunities in terms of renovating and adding value but is there a sweet spot in the sort of capital city markets where you think the best margins are short renovation times in apartments for example of a certain age or is it better to take on you know, are your, your students finding the most love in like a, you know, a small renovation in a freestanding house in the suburbs? Where is there a sweet spot like that? Or is it really horses for courses and every opportunity is, is completely unique and different and needs to be measured, at, you know, you know, based on um, what the market's doing and what your purchase price is and what the market's willing to pay at the other end? I think every opportunity is a little bit different. For example, and and some have different problems attached, like units. Um, I always laugh. I just think I just don't like renovating units, and I don't like renovating units because there's always a Gladys on the sixth floor complaining about where you put the skip bin and whose mm-hmm. trade is parked in the visitor spot, like those kind of complexities, and also um, noise testing for floors and getting engineers' reports every time you remove a a wall inside the unit and open up between kitchens and dining rooms. And I think units can be problematic. But if that's all you can afford and you can find a really good one in the city and you've got proof inside that particular unit block of perhaps a higher-priced property already sold and you've got this unrenovated unit and there's that nice margin between, then 100% go for it. But those unit blocks where there's just hundreds and hundreds of like-for-like units, I steer clear of them. Um, Major capital cities where the price point's a little bit higher, when we uh, opened up tonight, you were talking about around your area where there's not that much disparity between the unrenovated homes and the top homes aren't selling for that much more. I find that in a lot of areas where people are trying to get in at the bottom, it pushes up that bottom sector of the market and that kind of takes away that nice fat disparity, so perhaps not there. The sweet spot for my students are really good, healthy regional regional centres and not every town, but you've really got to get on the ground. Uh, Joe's a stickler for this, like really getting in amongst it's it. Boots on the ground. It's on the ground. On the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and you do the numbers and you're really looking for that nice disparity between unrenovated and renovated properties and you're comparing light for light, three-bedroom, one-bathroom, you know, same kind of era homes, same kind of part of town, and you look really, really hard for comparables and you just start to list them one after the other because the numbers don't lie and it becomes 
really apparent where you should do your investing and and get your next deal. And you can't beat boots yeah. on the ground. Yeah, I love well, your idea. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's such a great point. Like it trying to um, start wherever you can afford to start, you know, like what you're talking about now with your, your, you know, the principal place of residence, you didn't start there, but you can, you know, you can start with a small unit renovation that's going to yield the results, but fundamentally it all works the same. So if someone is like, I saw a post before someone said that, you know, I'm 24, I'm just starting my investing journey. I've got $60,000 saved. What can we do? What can I do to, you know, get into this, get into this game or get into this renovation game. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great opportunity, a great point. But are there other asset types that you see out there that you're like, oh my gosh, we definitely should not be renovating these types of things because they're just a, like a money suck. They just take all of the value and, and not, not anything worthwhile. Um, what do they look like? If they I, so I love character homes, but you head to those regional towns and something that's built in the late, 1800s or early 1900s. I had a close look at one with a student the other day. The cracks and the gaps were terrifying in this house. And it was, you know how they sell them uninhabitable? There's a word they... As is. Where is? As is. Yeah. Yeah, wish you luck, (laughs) uninsurable. (laughs) Yeah, so just there's too many... Caveat emptor, what is it? What's the word for it? Caveat emptor. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I said the word run, run, just run, just run. Don't. So there are certain properties people should run from. Just things where the problems are too huge and too costly to fix, or even yeah. and people get people kind of get excited by the challenge. Oh, everybody else has knocked this back. It's been on the market for ages. It's next to mm. nothing, but I'll fix it. And yeah, I think yeah. no, don't. Like, don't get excited by the challenge of proving everyone or to everyone that you can do it. Go and spend, conserve your energy, and go and spend it on something that's going to be easier. That you're yeah, going go to rescue it off. Leave the old yeah, house. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So there, you know, problems you should run from just bad layouts. So one, the people will buy a property and think that just because they add paint color and new furniture and style it, that they're going to sell it at profit. If the layout stinks, it stinks, and new people are going to walk through the property and go, "This is really beautiful." but I can't access the backyard from the house and I can't imagine my family living in here and they won't get their price. Yeah, that's yeah. good. One, one of the comments in the um, Facebook group says, blonde brick is best layout. Um, we, we talk about this in the office all the time when we're selecting assets for people for investment. We love, we, we, we call it a bomb shelter. We love, you know, a low set brick bomber uh, that just stand the test of time. And yeah, <laughs> we love a bomb shelter. Because they're just they're so rock solid and they're, they're typically really easy to renovate. Um, they don't take, you know, there's not a lot of headaches. Um, there's definitely no character features and things like that that you've got to replicate or retain. It's pretty easy. You can modernize yeah. them really easily. Um, you know, take them from an 80s house to a 20, you know, 2020s house really easily at low cost. So, yeah, we like those ones. Yeah, and the tenants yeah. can't any damage right like <laughs> what can they break a brick no their hand's going to get very sore it's not like plasterboard and things like that where you can get uh the kids can damage it the dogs can damage it you can't damage yeah. a brick wall yeah. yeah but also if you're um perhaps if you're going to rent out the property i you know you might leave it till a bit later on but if you're going to sell and you want to paint bricks 
they just like they're so on trend it's such a cheap thing to do right now that that is on trend and people are very accepting of painted bricks um, no longer do people expect a place to be ren rendered before it's painted and so take advantage of that trend while it while it's popular and paint your bricks change paint the whole your bricks. I picked up on something you said before about renovating in strata, that there's always a Gladys in every building. I, yeah. I totally agree. I, I heard a good joke this morning that what, what, what do you call a bunch of Karens? A strata committee. <laughs> <laughs> that, I've just had so many bad strata committees that, yeah, I love that one. There's so many good Karens in a strata committee. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, if they're... you can pick a property that's just really simple, then why wouldn't you pick that above something with complications? Totally. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah I guess another, I did a my first renovation ever um, was I needed to fix the stairs up and I thought that's a problem. Here's a solution and I'm going to get rewarded for it. Then I needed to fix the electrical and then I needed to fix the guttering and then I spent all this ridiculous amount. I spent $12,000 on stairs and then got it revalued for absolutely nothing. You know, the amount of money that I put into the renovation is the money that I got back because I didn't do what you're saying, Belinda. Do the, find the problems that um, you can cosmetically uplift and do, make it better. So solve yeah. those problems. Don't solve the problems that no one sees value in. Like, oh, but you mean your stairs work? Oh, huh. affected that. Smelly, yeah. <laughs> dirty, cat's wee, um, you know. <laughs> all that love it love it. it's great you mean Dulux nicotine white <laughs> is the best <laughs> I laugh at that every time I used to go to work every we used to well not we not me but coppers used to smoke a lot so we'd go to the station every couple of years they'd come and they'd give the, the the police station a coat of paint and we called it nicotine yellow they just paint the walls nicotine yellow to match the nicotine smoke that was going to replace the nicotine <laughs> yellow paint it was just hideous <laughs> I've always wanted to ask this, having spoken to you tons, Belinda, but who is the most famous person that you've arrested? Uh, uh, um, no, uh, okay, so I've arrested quite a few people. I actually turned up one day and my brickies were at my place and one of the guys was out the front fence and he said, do you recognise me? And I said, no. And he said, you locked me up two years ago. And I said, are you going to lay my bricks straight? I said, was I nice? And he said, yeah, you were nice. I thought, thank God. I did have lunch with Sally Ann Hugstep and I did work with Roger Rogerson and his brother and I was in the drug spot mm. in the 80s. So, you know. I've seen it all. You know, that would have been a bit crazy. Person. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been wild. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's start talking about some of the, the basic stuff for the newbies and then we'll start talking about some of the more advanced strategies. I think that's probably a, a good place to go. We've got, uh, we got a lot here. So uh, give us a rundown. What are, we, what are we looking at, Belinda? Uh, real quickly, I think that if you're going to be a successful investor for the long term and build a really nice, healthy portfolio, the first thing you have to do is recognise every right next move for you, your own, in your own circumstance. So whether you need someone like Joe to go through that with you when you're selecting a property or whether um, you can work that out for yourself, sometimes it's very, very apparent, but you have to make every move a good one and not lock yourself into some kind of corner, particularly when it comes to freezing up finances or, you know, stopping you from lending to go to your next. 
think everyone's got to start off by saving a deposit. Like if you're going to have some kind of ownership, you have to at some point in your life, whether I, I know it's hard for everyone now, especially for the youngsters, and I know that properties are more expensive, but at some point they've got to give up the avocado <laughs> on toast for a little while. Got to save some kind. You've got to get a start. Have to get a start. And then well, that's, I think that's that, actually yeah. well, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, um, Belinda. Your portfolio, when you you've done you you spent you did the hard yards at the beginning. But have yeah. you now dipped back into cash or have you just been using that portfolio equity and rolling it into the next deal and then rolling it into the next deal and then rolling into the next deal? Like you're, you're not, you're not keep putting cash from your own pockets into this thing. No. And really I've been quite lazy. You know, like I'm not, like honestly, I run my I business. So. Really not like with, your, business not hey. with <laughs> your career. You're always on the go. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, okay. So I, I'll just pick and choose my deal. So let's just say that. So, um, I did a, a flip, a new build flip and made half a mil off that. And this renovation I'm about to do, I'll make a mil. So I do fewer, I do fewer and I do bigger. That's what I've chosen to do. But those yeah. early ones, that early momentum that we created and we sold some of those homes, we don't own all of those now, but that early momentum focusing on cash flow because that was our major problem, right? Our income was always going to be the thing that stopped us and, um, and so that that really did create, I guess, where we where I am now, where we are now, right? It created our positioning now. Um, but we we did sacrifice back then, and we still do sometimes. You know, like I think that growing a portfolio means you go hard for a while, and you really stretch as far as you can, and you start to become highly leveraged, and then you're like, okay if it starts to feel a bit wonky or you start to feel a little bit exposed, it is okay to, to kind of pull it back in a little bit. And I think that that looking for the best opportunity in every deal you do really matters as well. So if there's a chance to do a renovation and also there's a subdivision potential at the back, whether it be in the future or immediately, grab that property. You know, one lot of stamp duty, one lot of effort, one renovation, and yet there's a second dig at some kind of income. Or if you can do uh, a lot of people right now are, are splitting homes into more than one rentable space and even this big old house I'm in now and creating two houses out of the one like just dual it's a dual ox so it's looking for opportunity beyond just the one deal so I think people just have a single-minded attitude and I really want people to think a bit bigger and take their time and make every deal do fewer deals but make them really good make make the ones really good and that's how you conserve your energy and you really strategize your progress. Yeah, um, I love yeah. that extra. I love that extra value add potential. I talk yeah. about that all the time. I see because you can get the bite, you can get a bite of the cherry now by doing a yeah. value add sub, you know, renovation. But you can also, in five years' time, you don't know how to. You don't need to know how to renovate a subdivide a property right now. You don't need to be yeah. the expert in granny flats. Yeah. You don't need to be the expert in that. That's future Joe's problem. But as long as it ticks the boxes for that that product that end product for a subdivision great you can learn that you don't need to know how it all works now and then you're going to thank yourself 10 times over when exactly that you dual lock run subdivide because now you're ready to go i love building that in i love that on that point though i was to say this is something that joey you probably deal with a lot day to day like i do and i'm interested in belinda's um take on this so many of our customers when we look at building a portfolio for them with investment you know investment portfolio They'll start with um, stars in their eyes around manufacturing equity, 
exactly what kind of Joey just said. Um, the ones that can plan ahead that Joe just explained, that's great. You don't need to know it now. It's going to be in five years. But a lot of people get the stars in their eyes thinking, I've seen someone renovate or I've watched the block or whatever else on. I want to buy that one where I can do X amount of work to it and I can you know, build equity into it really quickly and they get on a real rush to build their portfolio. Is there a time and a place for a renovation property like in terms of what you went through building your portfolio over time while you were both working full-time? Would you start with a couple of um, solid bread and butter, simple investment properties before you encourage people to go out and renovate? Or is this a is this something that they could go out and do on their first property and really build that strategy from day one? I think, Scott, it depends on how much coin people have. So if people are starting with next to nothing and a, a place that needs renovating is their first step into the market, that's all they can afford, and they can build some, they can renovate it and build some equity to give them a little bit more to go and do a next one. And they might flip it, like they'll sell it and then just get another chunk and, and build. It's it's really a, a fabulous opportunity to start from next to nothing and build quite quickly. Other than that, mm. once people buy investments that they're sitting on as buy and holds, if they're not adding value or forcing value upon that property, they're solely relying on the cash flow, which is the rental income, and also the natural growth. And that can be faster and slow. You've seen how volatile that's been over the last five years. So uh, I think that renovating is just a really a great tool to throw in the mix, and that's different for different people. If people have got a lot of money, all of this is easy. Like if people have a lot of money, becoming a very wealthy property investor is a snack because it's you've just got plenty of money for momentum. But when people hit the lending wall, and we did, we bought that seven and then I <laughs> I bid it on a property at auction and then I went to the bank and they went, we're not giving you any money. And I went, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got like 24 hours to sort this out. So, yeah. yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, you can go pretty hard and fast and, and, I, and I guess some people are more fearless than others and that's probably me a little bit. My husband is definitely more, he keeps me grounded. He's just more, he's a, a really nice, solid human. He's really good for me. Um, so some people are different and everybody's starting in a different place and I think renovations really have their place in amongst building a, a decent portfolio but I think holding on to really good, solid property over the long term is what makes people deeply wealthy. Mm. And you don't yeah, have but you, can, you also There's also opportunities out there, and we call them ugly ducklings, where you can go out there and the property is absolutely fine to rent as is. You don't need to do a renovation. You're not going to maximise the rent because it's not flashy and cashy. It's not the, the prettiest thing but it can need a, a bathroom renovation, a new layout construction, a new wall you could add in to make it a four bed, two bath. Um, and all of a sudden you've spent, you know, 40, 50 grand and you've got a, a brand new place, but you don't need to do that right away. You can, we got called freezing equity. You just freeze the equity in a year, two years. And then when you're comfortable to do that, you're kind of building it in a little bit. Um, yeah. So if you're not going, you don't want to be the one to buy the, trashed out ugly duckling that needs work right now you're a little bit scared of that great buy something that is what belinda's talking about but you then have it at a later date when you feel a little bit more comfortable to do it but just um one thing actually i do see that it's worthwhile mentioning is i see a lot of people buying large uh 
large blocks of land with a little house on it. And they're like, oh, we're going to subdivide this in in 20 years and um, spend a lot of money on it. The challenge is it, owning that amount of land costs a lot of money because you've got a lot of debt now because you had to pay for all that land. So I see people overcapitalizing in getting a small house on a large block, but not being able to continue their portfolio because it's uh, too much of a cash drain. Feel and like also, that's not really relevant. Playing, yeah. playing developer there as well. Like we, you see a lot of this, isn't it, where the land is big enough to be subdivided, but there's no value in the land. So there's a lot of you know regional yeah. properties like that where it's all good to own yeah. those properties where you've got the ability to do it. But the cost of carving out those extra lots is just there's no yeah. value in it because no one's out there yeah. constructing on those on those lots. And rules change, like in in WA. The um the rules are fundamentally changing in the way that um, developments are be going to going to get done. So if you're buying a property based on today's development codes, um in two years time they are most likely going to be a little bit different. It is going to be a little bit different. So just just don't don't hold out for for a, you know decades and decades thinking great I'm going to hold this large block of land for no reason, uh, hoping that it's going to be developable when maybe it won't be. Um, things change. Um. Love it. Nice. What else? What else we got? What else we got in this wonderful list? Buying under value or at or below, like buying well is so important. Scott, you can talk to this. (laughs) You have to get a good deal. Have we got another hour? I I will give you two minutes. (laughs) No, no, no. I, I've I've spoken too much too much on this platform already about negotiation and buying under yeah. under value, but I agree that's it's paramount to your buying success is making sure that you find the right asset that you know you can make a margin out of it, but then making money on the way in, right? Like buying it below where you perceive the value sits and having a good negotiation strategy to do it. So I agree. Yeah, if you if you're going to buy yeah. a property to flip, I don't want to see people standing standing at auction. Bidding against no. other emotionally charged potential homeowners. No, but yeah. also a good, a good point on this as well that I think a, a lot of people let go is just as it's important to negotiate and save money on the way in, it's yeah. equally as important to make the same amount of effort on selling the property on the way out. So many people cut corners. They might use the agent that sold it to them because they've got rapport with them or they might use a property manager because they know them locally to sell the property, choosing the right agent to sell the asset and getting the right structure on the on the fee that you pay them as well is crucially important to get in and out of a project for the maximum profit. Yeah, it's so funny. As soon as as soon as something is like a, a cost, it's just a mental thing, right? Oh, I'm going to save all this money. I'm going to I'm going to I don't have to output this. Like it happened with me just last uh, last week. So we bought a, a property in in South Australia. We haven't really gone too deep into this deal on the on the forum too much until I've got it all done and I can map it out and tell everyone the exact numbers so we can all kind of follow along. Tell um, us now. But, um, well, it's a block of land. It's a house that was in South Australia in, in um, I think, I've, in a Sullivan's Beach, uh, 720 square meters. It's a corner block. They didn't want it. No one wanted it because um, it's a one into two subdivision based on the, the zoning rules. Now, next next door where, where, I saw the op- where we saw the opportunity was um, next door is a park, which gives us a 10% dispensation, which means we can actually put three plots on there. So we got a massive discount because everyone was looking at it as a two site, didn't stack up um, at the price we got it. Anyway, um, where was my point at this? Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that deal down the line. But um, I... Ooh, I wanted the numbers now. <laughs> we listed it and we sold two blocks already. 
And then I'm like, I really want to get like a view of the suburb, like on a drone shot. Do you guys like the real estate agent? Have you got any drone shots? Because I feel like you're not taking a photo of the beach. There's no beach photo. You've just got like generic stock standard beach photos. Can you just do one where the, the house is there? They're like, yeah, that'll be $150 and we can do that. And I'm like, well, I guess we can't have that. Um, thank you. So I just didn't pay the $150 like, uh, because I didn't, I, I know it's going to help sell it, but it's $150 of, of cost expenses. So, um, and the agent wouldn't do it for you. Wow. I didn't, I really, I didn't push it. I didn't think I could, I didn't actually, that's a good question. Can I do that? Can I ask him to do it for me? Well, if it helps them to sell it for more money on your behalf, then surely it's worth, it's in their vested interest to do the marketing correctly and get it right. I would have thought, but. Well, I mean, but how much? Yeah. Actually. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you, Scott is um, on selling. um, How much does, if, if an agent kind of sells the property for an extra $10,000, like how much does that actually affect their bottom line? Um, I think this is something that people get a little bit confused about. They're like, Oh, well, the agent's pushing to get the absolute best, best price. And you would do this actually with your deals that you purchase all the time. It would be like, you'd be saving tens of thousands of dollars, which the agent would be losing, but you do the deal quickly inform the agent that yes, we're going to move fast and you're saving him hours and hours of time of going to the open and doing all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Can you talk to that? <laughs> What's your question, though? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that you unpacked the question out of that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's not a lot of. To, the, I think the first bit of what you're saying is there's not a lot of motivation for the agent if they're only going to get a little bit more money um, to sort of spend any more time or spend any more, you know, out of their pocket to market the property. But um, good agents, and you should only ever be listing with a good agent. To, to you've got to find those and unearth those in each of your local markets wherever you're selling nationwide. Good agents want to achieve the best possible price. Now, it didn't make any difference to me when I was a selling agent if I was making an extra dollar out of it or not. I wanted to get the best possible result because I'm competitive, right? I'm uber competitive. And because of that, I knew that getting results, getting the best results was going to get me another listing. You know, I was going to pick up the neighbor's house or someone down the street or the buyer's own home. So it's those little things like that with the right agents that you can find that are worth Mm. investing in those agents. And sometimes those agents cost more money than the lowest percentage agent that you'll find. So you've got to weigh up all these things as well. Like you may end up paying the equivalent of, you know, you want to do a sliding scale, not a fixed fee as we always discuss, but it may end up costing you say 2% of the sale price. And you may have got it for 1% with another dodgy agent down the road. But if they're going to cost you 50 grand or a hundred thousand dollars in the sale price, then it's yeah. back to the whole cutting corners in the renovation, isn't it? It's like you cut corners in the renovation or you overspend in a renovation when you didn't. It's just missing those subtleties like that that can really cost you a lot of money and leave tons of margin, um, you know, in someone else's pocket, the buyer's pocket. The big one is styling too. A lot of people say if I'm going to spend 5000 yeah. on styling, how do I know I'm going to get more than that 5000 back in return? They kind of want to know exactly and it's a hard thing to predict. But, you know, styling makes such a difference with how fast a property sells, how someone connects emotionally to that space. It helps people understand how to use the space, um, how to get the most out of a home, and uh, it, it makes a difference. So even if you don't do it pro- or, or have it done professionally, have a go yourself. But really, you really have to put a property on the market looking its best. I, I think so too. From an emotional connection and spatially, it's really important. From an agent's yeah. perspective with my hat on, 
the difference between selling in an empty property versus a, a style oh, property is by yeah. talking to the purchaser as they walk around and they will look at all the faults or find different things to attack or discuss as talking points in the property. You put a styled property um, up against it and they'll it, it moves to a more of an emotional conversation about how much they love it or they like it or they start to focus more on the outside and the view and the flow of the property. It's a very different conversation and feel showing an empty property versus styled home if you do it correctly. You've done this before, Scott. You're on the yeah. ball. You see it a <laughs> couple of times. Yeah, it's a, to- it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, one thing I think about, Belinda, with renovations, is it better to go for a more expensive renovation? Because the way I think about it is like a kitchen renovation in a, in a bait, let's just say it's $10,000 to do a kitchen renovation. It, to spend a, to, it's not going to cost double the price if the house is now 500000 and is now a million dollars. Like it's not going to be 40000 It's not going to be $20,000. Uh, maybe those numbers are probably not accurate to the real world right now, but like you, you're, you're getting more bang for your buck by, you know, getting that extra uplift because now you can sell it for 1.2 million rather than 500,000 to 550,000. Like it, how do you think about the, the price disparity in, in renovations? I think you've got to pick your battles about where you're going to spend the money or increase your spend. And you have to pick, like significant little moments in rooms. For example, you might, you might, you know, keep your kitchen on a little bit of a budget like the kitchen cupboards, but you might team that up with a more expensive splashback tile and draw the eye there. You just, you, you've got to spend appropriately to the level of property that you're renovating, but you can't go nuts. Like you can overcapitalise on, even on something that's, that's going to be worth a lot. You can still go nuts and overcapitalise and there's no reason for it. You really just have to keep a sensible head, write your budget out, know what your budget is and go, okay, if I'm going to go these gorgeous stack stones and they're $200 per square metre laid, then that means the front door I was going to pay $4,000 for, I'm not going to have. I'm going to go and get a $2,000 door. Yeah. You're right, Joe. though. I think there is a sweet spot in lots of different price points and different asset types. When I first moved to the Gold Coast and, wanted to start doing a little bit of developing. I researched the suburb first, found where I wanted to buy, looked at the assets then second and realised that the gap in the market um, was for renovating older waterfront homes like 80s and 90s waterfront homes and getting out at a purchase a sale price at around sort of 1.5, 1.7 because there was a gap between um, people not prepared or couldn't afford to buy the new build houses which were selling for low two mils but if you renovated yeah. something beautifully and you made it almost look and feel like a new build house, there was a premium there that you could achieve for doing a renovation. So, you know, it's finding those little nuances in each marketplace like that to be able to then hone right in on it and, and you know, try, try and pick up on that before the rest of the market does and that gets over, overheated in terms of competing for those types of purchases. Yeah, exactly. Like I was looking at a um, when, but one of my first deals that I I remember going very deep. I put forward an offer, didn't get it in the end. Um, was one hundred eighty thousand, and I needed to spend twenty thousand dollars on the renovation, and that would have gotten me to, you know, two hundred and two hundred and forty thousand dollars. So I'm making this little little bit of money, but for me, it, it was my first deal, and it didn't matter because I was making money. I was doubling my doubling my money, but it's like, well, if you if you bought a $500,000 property and you spent that $20,000, did the exact same work, it's going to be a larger net outcome for you. 
Um, so I'm wondering, I kind of think it, it, the answer is it depends, right? Like what market is calling for that. So how, how do you actually think about that, Belinda? How do we find these, these markets that have this, this big disparity um, between how much an unrenovated versus a renovated is? Um, they're out there and they're in every, you know, how you said not every market's the same and there are little, little micro markets. I'll give you an example. I was talking to one of my students about a town called Kapunda, Kapunda in South Australia and she loves it because she lives nearby and she had a lot of faith in that town because it's a reasonably healthy town and it's affordable. But when we looked at the town down the road, Udunda, <laughs> Kapunda. <laughs> we actually okay. got to, I said I kept looking at Kapunda going, there's just not the margins. Like I understand you yeah. wanting emotionally to buy here, it felt safer for you, it's a more buoyant town, there's more activity, more shops. Udunda, a lot quieter, quite a dead town. But we were watching exactly what you said before, Scott. Somebody was renovating properties, buying them really undervalued, doing a renovation that we could calculate how much they'd spent and making quite significant property uh, profit on these properties. So I said, don't just stick to Kapunda, look down the road, like go do what that guy's doing. You know, somebody that was already, you know, putting the social proof out there. So there are little pockets. Sometimes we just have to look a little bit beyond what we think or where we think might be a good area. It comes down to the numbers. If the numbers aren't there, we shouldn't be tempted with buying a property in that spot thinking we're going to do um, better than everybody else. I, just, I, I agree with you. I think that's yeah. really speaks volumes what you just said. Just and the only thing I would say that's a disclaimer for that that I've experienced from um, an agent's perspective and yeah. also been you know, developing and seeing the same is that you can go that sort of ripple effect and say, okay, I'm just going to go down the road or to the next suburb, mm. but you don't want to get caught renovating to try to set a suburb record. So oh, you don't want to go somewhere yeah. first. You've got to go to a market where it's already established yeah, and then find the gap within it. You don't want to be, you don't want to go down. It's easy to go to the next town and think, oh, it's so much cheaper here. And if I do the same renovation, you know, the same renovation I was going to do in the other town, I can get the same price. You can't and and you'll get hung on that. So there's definitely a ceiling until someone breaks through that and uh, you've got some okay. direct comparables that you can hang your hat on. Yeah. And it's lovely when you find those direct comparables. You, you, if somebody else is already doing it in an area, what we shouldn't say is someone else is already doing it here. Like you should go do it in that same area. They, they, they're only going to be doing one or two properties at a time, even at a professional level. If you yep. follow what you do, do the same type of renovation they do and take, take them on. You know, they're setting the social proof. They're setting the high price. I like it. I can see a TV show here, Reno Battle. <laughs> <laughs> the Smith. Or the block. <laughs> the old dog. PM. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. guys. You heard it here first. Um, any, anyone that's watching here uh, online, throw in any uh, renovation, well, throw in any questions that you have um, that you have for uh, Belinda. Um, I want to start talking about some of the more advanced strategies that, that you see out there. So let's say, you know, we've been we've been working hard in our jobs. We've we've got a couple of renovations under our belt. We've got a couple of properties, and then the uh, the bank um, said, "Joe, you you can't borrow any more money. You know, you just you can't you can't do it. You can't continue down the line that you're going down because we have this you know debt to income ratio that's you know six times um, earnings." 
Um, but before we do that, let's jump into our next ad and then we can um, get it rocking and rolling. The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases, it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield, so you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk, and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years' experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. There you go. I like it. What about renovating uh, commercial properties? Have you delved into that world, Belinda Smith, or any I of your students? I just had to spruce up one of my own. Kind of doesn't oh, really? bring doesn't bring me joy, but anyway, it's just not the same. <laughs> it's not yeah. the same between tenants. <laughs> or- I mean, you can just say, you know, here's here's the attitude about commercial property. Oh, it's the new tenants' um, responsibility to do it up. It's they're going to be their shop front. But the truth is, if there are vacant shops in a, a location and you want yours rented out first, then, you know, it was natural for me to jump in there and go and fix it up a bit. Yeah. And then yeah. Get okay. Out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's okay. That works. Okay. Well, in terms of advanced strategies, how would, how do we create momentum through, through uh, making it happen for us in our property portfolio? Couple of things. Um, private lenders are always out there, or alternative. I'll just say alternative um, funds are out there. There's always a way to get money. Beyond that, you got this one. Is it this one? Up. This slide is this the right one for it? So, no. Belinda, what what do you pay at the moment? <laughs> like, is there a is it kind of fifteen twenty percent for alternative funding for a development site? Is it lower than that? Uh, is it, it just about you know knowing the right people and and finding people that you know, know, like, and trust you in terms of the security that you put up or is, is everyone yeah. paying the same rates? And actually, I think um, private funding comes down to a couple of things. Number one, their belief in your ability to go through a renovation and come out of profit because they're interested in getting their money back. Yep. And so if you go to a straight-out private lender, they'll charge you somewhere between 2 and 3% establishment fees up front and it'll be a higher interest rate and there'll be a term where you have to have the job finished and their money paid back to them. It's kind of a bit of a chunk. But if it enables you to go and do some work and continue on, then it's worthwhile. 
And some of these funds can be through inside, you know, seven to 10 days. So it just, there's momentum there. There are some of my guys who only ever go to their same consistent lenders and just, they just turn over the properties and, and the money just comes at them and the lenders are confident. But I think building a reputation and building, I'll call it a personal brand is part of that. And a lot of people forget it. A lot of people think oh, I'm a beginner renovator and that's what I'll go do. Um, and you need people to have the belief that you can execute what you're promising. So I think that's one point. Another point is you can you can pally up with an average Joe. Sorry, Joe. You can pally up with an everyday person who's just like you. So somebody else, you know, people form beautiful partnerships. So someone might want to do the renovation work and somebody might have the money but not be interested in getting their hands dirty but have some idle money and be quite happy for something like a 15%, anything between 10 and 20% return is really acceptable um, and, and just kind of lend their money out and get their money back. Some people go halves in a property and they can do a profit share. Some people will pally up with, say, a builder and they'll do the work and get a wage on the ground and there'll be a profits uh, share agreement at the end. It really, joint ventures can be anything you want them to be and they can be absolutely beautiful they can be problematic if people do not do proper research into who they're going into business. Let's call it as it is. It's a business agreement. It's only a short-term thing with a renovation, which is great, but it's still an agreement and I think that everything needs to be looked at, considered and signed off by independent solicitors first, particularly if there's family members involved. It's the one time that people think, oh, I won't go to a solicitor because this is my brother or my cousin or my auntie, and I think that's the first the, the, the time where you really do need to go and have everything legally documented. But, yeah, JVs are a great thing. They can just keep people moving. So so one, so one, I guess there is the, the profit split where it's 50-50 yeah. uh, and then 15 to 20% on, on your money. How does that work? So you promise the, the, the party, hey, give me $100,000. So I need $100,000 to get this deal because yeah. uh, because that's how much it costs. You go to someone and say, like, what, is it, what does it look like? How do that's I get it. that money? <laughs> okay, so that, that's what I mean about personal brand. It's like how do I get that? People will say, oh, let's go and do a joint venture together. Oh, you can, I, I've got the money. You go and do a renovation and I'll give you the money and we can all profit share. When it comes to the crunch, when you've got your foot on a property and you say, okay, now it's time to hand over the money, some people will go, oh, oh, like it's that moment where they're like, oh, oh. So you have to build up, I think, your reputation and, and your brand around your ability to be able to execute a good renovation on time and on budget. That and you've got to have a thorough feasibility study and a, and, a, yes. and a deep understanding of the real numbers, isn't it? 100%. The, you've like, got to state your case, present your case. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens if, um, you know, I borrow this $100,000? Like how does it actually work on a, on a structural standpoint? I get $100,000 and I just promise, hey, I'll give you $15,000 halfway. Like is it throughout the journey? Is it at the end of the journey of doing the development and I get my money? Like how does it work that way? It's usually at the end. It's very simple when it's all done at settlement. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when yeah. here's, here's the thing. The most problems I think arise out of JVs is uh, are when people either do better 
than they expect, like the, the whole renovation yeah. does better, the profit's better. And somebody says, oh, you know, I should have had a bigger share. Like people, they start to think about what they missed out on. So that's problematic. So that's why everything has to be documented. Um, yeah. And the other thing I think is problematic is if somebody, if people say we're going to go halves in the labour and one person turns up mm. on the property more than the other, so the other one, the one who turns up all the time and is getting most of the work done, feels a little bit duped. So I think that yeah. can be problematic. But the truth is, if you if you let it go a little bit, if you're not so worried about every cent, if something like that occurs, you get through the job, you get through, you, everyone shakes hands, you all you split your profit and off you go, and you say to yourself, I will never do, do another JV with that person again. Um, but you can usually, I think people usually get through a, a joint venture in a renovation on the right property without too much drama. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and it, it really, in the right and it just comes down to making sure that you can, it's just like hiring someone, right. Or working, you actually have to feel like there's a professional relationship. It's like when you, when yeah. you, you know, I have some really good friends that I could never work with but we're great friends um, and there's just not that connection of no, but you don't understand business. You don't understand the, the world that we're talking about here that makes any, uh, that makes any sense. Um, well, so it's I've definitely aligning those. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I've got some renovators who will renovate people's homes. Like we'll actually approach homeowners. Mm. They will pay for the renovation as in the renovators and then the home and then they'll split the profit. You know, the homeowner had a house that might've been worth that. And then with the renovation, they'll sell it up there and, and they're happy because they get a bit of extra money and they might have been a bit concerned about taking their property to market looking like it did. Um, works well it's with a great families. Idea. Yeah, yeah, that happens great too. Idea. Because there's no stamp duty or costs involved in that. It's just like no. you're just going to do the renovation. You can set your whole yeah. business up around that. So there's a, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. It's just in the end, here's what I think. I think you need to treat each other with kindness and I think you need to be very, very aware of what can happen and make sure that you've got all the agreements in place and that you've discussed everything together and you've had multitudes of meetings, cups of tea, cups of coffee, and that everyone knows how everyone's going to operate, what the reporting's going to be like, when you're going to check in on the budget, who's going to be in charge of doing each component of the renovation, who's going to do the product selection. Yeah. Like you just who's need for all it? Yeah, you need it yeah. on the table. Who's, paying, right for front. Debt? Who's yeah. paying for the servicing of the debt? What happens yeah. when the council comes back and asks for another five grand? Who is paying yeah. for that? Because yeah. it can be like, oh, I'm, you know, we're we're splitting costs. Well, I don't have any money. Well, yeah. you're gonna, I'm gonna have to like, we need to get the job done. So someone needs to do it, and it's like, oh my gosh, it can get very sideways. Like the the way I like to think about it is break it down. Like in in there's someone that finds the deal. There's someone that that um, finances the deal. Um, there's someone that has the borrowing ability for the deal as well. And then there's someone that um, runs the project, right? Yeah. And there's those four components. Now, if you're if you're going to find the deal and run the deal, great, you get fifty percent of the deal. Um, if you have the cash and the serviceability, great. The, you know that's a world that can kind of work. So it's like a loose framework, and it's obviously it all comes horses for courses, and what you know one person might do more, but yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting way to look at it so i think it's an advanced strategy but it works well yeah it's a great way for for people that that might have a lot of equity in their 
you know, their principal place of residence. And they're like, oh, you know, I just want to see what a renovation look like. Do you actually, what, what is a, you must see money partners all the time. Like what does the typical money partner look like? Oh, good. Tall, blonde, oh, handsome. Gold yeah. jewelry. Yeah. Fancy yeah. car. Got <laughs> merch. No. no. <laughs> Facelift, Botox. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, I, I tell you who, what they look like. Sometimes they're a little bit worried about doing a renovation themselves from a skill base. So they will feel comfort in lending their money to somebody else to have a go at. So they're part of the experience and they can learn a little bit along the way with a more experienced person doing the project basically on their behalf. So that's, that's one reason why somebody will lend their money. And number two, some people just have some idle cash or idle equity and they think, well, I, I have enough faith in this person to turn this deal into a profit. And so I'm quite happy for them to use my money while it's sitting around doing nothing. That's it, you know. Especially in this in this economic environment where you know they were getting next to nothing with their cash in the bank, isn't it? If they've paid off their own house, it's not just sitting there in an offset yeah. account or whatever, and and they might get fifteen to twenty percent income on that. You know, it's it's pretty appealing if you find something that's a, it, that's as safe as it can be in terms of a yeah, revenue. as safe as it can be. Scott's right. It's on, the numbers really matter. Really good, um, you know, detailed feasibility. That they matter yeah. a lot. Yeah, and I mean, a hundred thousand dollars at fifteen percent for a year is is fifteen thousand dollars. Like that's that's a, a good. That's better than you're getting from the from the bank. That's better than having it in an offset account, um, as yeah. long as it's safe. But if you're getting fifty percent of the deal, that could also be a quite substantial. Yeah, yeah, it's fifty percent um, of the deal, and it sounds good, but it's also fifty percent of the risk. In terms of that, so you know, there's downside risk there as well, right? That you've got to weigh into those things. So yeah, yeah there's definitely lots of different ways that you can skin this. Yeah, yeah. Someone's just popped in the comments there. Exactly, money lending has potential major risk. I mean, it's yeah. a reason why the banks. I mean, this reason why private lenders are so expensive and why the banks aren't in this space um, so easily with everyday everyday joes for lack of a better word <laughs> you know because it's it's it, it is risky there is a lot involved that can go wrong and then you've got to chase after that. how are you going to get your money back um that's why you have good lawyers and stuff um i'm realizing the time we've gone we've gone a little bit crazy at the minute um anyone has any questions throw them in but i would love to go through you've got a whole heap of um uh case studies on on here so you want to talk to some of those yeah i don't mind throw, throw one up they look, they look cool. There's little ones and big ones and. Okay. What about this one? What are we looking at here? Okay, so Marcel, one of our students, Sydney, Sydney residents, in her early 60s, um, staring uh, at retirement, potential retirement, wanted to build a bit more of a nest egg, um, works in hospital administration. She's intelligent, busy and organised. So she ran this renovation from Sydney, had a builder, this is Port Augusta, had a builder down there do the work. He was a bit of a pain um, and it took longer than expected. But in the end, here are the results. 116500 was the purchase price in November 22 um, and or sold in November 22. Net profit, 40000 Gross profit was 58000 And I think it's important sometimes to share the gross and the net, even though, 
profits are different for everyone. Net profits are different because everyone's tax taxable position is different. Uh, but, you know, some people say, you know, is it worth renovating? Everything gets taken up in tax. Well, there's Marcel's numbers. Good enough to share with us those numbers. So, yeah, not bad. Bought an 116,000, 50K reno, sold at 225. Yeah, that's unreal. And when did they purchase it? Like what, what kind of, sorry, time frame was this? Okay, so it took her uh, about eight months to do because the builder oh, wow. down there was slow. Um, and but her holding costs on a hundred and sixteen thousand dollar purchase wasn't very much, so she wasn't very concerned about that. Um, yeah. But here we go. So people pick remote locations or very very small price properties, thinking they're going to make a lot of money. And I think this outcome was really really good. I always think that it makes me nervous a little bit that if that say if there's some great big something something turns up on a renovation that requires say you know, a 25K spend to, to fix up. On my house here in Sydney, it's neither here nor there, but on a, something yeah. like this, it's going to have a great big impact on the profit margin. Yeah. yeah? So that's, yeah. Yeah, people get excited about the lower price properties, but I just want to keep it real. Yeah, they make, very they true. They make me nervous. Um, oh, this is gosh, we're thing. jumping up. Oh, my goodness. There we go. Okay, so that's where I am now. That's my house. It's my pool. Lovely. Smell that water. <laughs> so that's what we bought. Um, what I wanted to point out from this slide was uh, just leveraging the existing design opportunities of a house. So I had an architect wanted to square off all of the arches, etc., etc. He basically created a $2 million build. It was going to be really expensive to do and the house was going to lose all of its character. And so just by... Looking at what you've already presented with in a renovation, whether it be a bigger price property like this or just um, anything, you know, those, those homes with arches right now, they're just a gold mine. They're a really good opportunity because they're on trend. So why not play them up? And the only arch I would knock out of a building right now is when they close in kitchens and dinings and lounge rooms. So I'd still pull out those areas and make, you know, those living spaces open. Um, but here we go. So I bought this 10 years ago for 1.535. It's now worth about 3.7. So the reno spends 1.2, significant renovation. I'm splitting it down the middle and creating, uh, a, it's a dual lock. We couldn't get strata approval, but we've got dual lock. So um, splitting it down the middle, creating two, four bedroom, three bathroom, two living townhouses essentially. We'll stay in um, the end with the pool and the water view and we'll rent the other end <coughs> 2300 a week and the, and the value will be six mil plus when we're done i think i walked past it i think i walked past this house before you've probably <laughs> got a construction fence out the front it's not hard to pick at the moment knock on the door joe <laughs> yeah. i'll make you a cup of tea <laughs> that was a, that it. was nice that you um that was nice that you kept the one with the water views and the pool that's really generous compared to the other side <laughs> well do you want the pools <laughs> <laughs> you can have the pool. <laughs> You're not so sold on that pool. The water is no, I mean the finished product. That's nice that she's kept the you know kept the really gum one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 no, yeah. We're, we're, we're keeping the pool in the view. Everybody else can they can look at the houses over the road. Well, I mean, I mean, this is actually this is a great idea as well because you bought this property, you know, when you when you you had the. The kids, I imagine, and now yeah. you're like, oh well, let's kind of downsize. And but I don't yeah. want to move out of my home. I want to make 
$1.1 million out of it. So uh, you're downsizing and also making a profit. <laughs> and adding an income. Hey, here's the thing. Too, yeah, the income hey, thing's huge. Right. So here's, here's the thing. I will always live, like people think that I live in a gorgeous house. I couldn't, I actually don't care. I'm not snobby or fussy. I really don't care. And I don't care what other people think. So I will move into a house and not have to have it beautiful while I'm there for a little while. I will renovate it to a very high level and style it like an absolute champion and sell it for maximum when it's fresh and then go and do it again somewhere else. So a lot of people do the opposite. They'll go and renovate a place. They'll live in it for 12 years. They'll think that it's brand new, but it's actually 12 years tired and they'll try and sell it then. So just yeah. something to consider. We're all, we're all different. We're all wired a little bit differently, but if you want the most money, you'll hang out a little bit and postpone your renovation to sell your property fresh. I like the yeah. idea of not only as you, you know, we're all getting older, as, as you're getting older there and moving towards your retirement stage at some point in the future with Brett, you've not only created the income stream, but you've also done it in a way where you haven't incurred selling costs and then stamp duty again on future purchases. So you haven't downsized and had to buy again and you've not had to yeah. go out and pay stamp duty to buy investment properties either. So yeah. you've managed mm. to roll all that into one project, which is very smart. Yeah. Uh, Scott, honestly, there are big, ugly homes everywhere and people just need to think outside the box a little bit. If you're going to buy a great big old ugly mansion in Sydney, think about breaking it down into, you know, uh, if you're going to do a renovation, uh, a rentable space, find a rentable space from the internal lot because it's not as expensive to do. But that, it's a high-end spend. So look for the Luigi era properties from the 60s in Sydney. Absolutely. Huh? Don't be snobby about the, <laughs> the been, era. Con- all snobby. the grass being concreted over and the whole backyard concreted. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has. <laughs> Seriously, it has. <laughs> the Mediterranean mansion. How good the Luigi era? So good. I said, kids, <laughs> mum has found the perfect house for you. And the kids said, oh, 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 oh. all right. <laughs> <laughs> we got another one we got another reno so this looks more like we've gone we've gone bottom of the market we've gone kind of topish end and now we're we're in the the everyday properties for everyday people this is this is right. exciting what are we looking at here this is beginner renovator who have, wanted to go and do an investment property with her husband wasn't quite brave enough at the same time this is her parents house they wanted to increase the value of this house so that they could move into their retirement place and have a little bit more money to either, you know, have in the bank or um, invest in their retirement place. So um, Jackie said, right, okay, mum and dad, I'll help you do a renovation on your own. So she increased the value by the renovation spend was 60000 They all got stuck in, mainly paint. See the blonde brick guys when it's painted? Everybody said, oh, I don't want to paint the blonde brick. Blonde brick lasts forever. But if you're going to sell, really consider the different appeal that a painted brick house has uh, just Absolutely. makes it look newer. It's a massive difference. So, yeah, sold before the first open inspection and she she basically created an extra $90,000 for her parents. They were wrapped. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and and it's just create – it's these little little effects yeah. um, that I feel make such a big difference. Paint is that- your best friend. You'll get the biggest return on investment for paint – and I think Joey will be down at Bed Bath and Beyond on Saturday. He's getting excited about the little pot plants at the door and the doormats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. The door, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my god! 
Oh, so oh, that's yes. just inside. So you can see it's my... There's your 10K out. reno, Joey, in the kitchen. Yeah, You're bang on. This is my after. <laughs> <laughs> really simple stuff, you know. Here's the thing too with kitchens. People want to go and just pull them all apart. Um, this was a bit older, this kitchen, but so many kitchens that are perhaps even 20 years old, the carcass, the back end and the carcass of the kitchen, they're virtually the same and if they're in okay condition, there's no reason to pull all those out, stick them in the skip bin. You can, you know, add a few things with Caboodle or Ikea and you can change the doors across the board with perhaps a custom guy can come and do new doors. But there's lots of stuff you can do without throwing the kitchen out and having to pay for dump fees and then, you know, a complete redo. Um, take, a yeah. breath, take a breath and think about what you can do design-wise just to improve the look. Yeah. And that's just oh, yeah. I stole that just really from the furniture that Jackie had around and she bought a few little bits and pieces from Kmart. Really, this is, you know, it's a low-budget property, but it's a nice little profit. Yeah. Nice. Um, so what was it, $90,000? 90, $90, yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, yeah, and then it's tax-free because it's their principal place of res residence, yeah. right? Yeah, her parents were wrapped. Very thankful. Cosmetic reno. Oh, okay. So this is um, this is the two flats above, or they're two flats now. They were one. I split them into two um, above the commercial property that I was talking about before that I had to go and do a spruce up downstairs. So um, because I could split this into two flats and create a new kitchen and bathroom and laundry uh, I added an extra $1,000 a month to the rental income and really I've had it for nine years. So, I mean, you add that up, it was it's an extra 108 k over that time, increase the value of the property, although it's in a, a regional centre. The property hasn't gone up that flash um, in value compared to perhaps my Sydney property here. But, you know, the cash flow is pretty good, between three and 4000 a month in cash flow from this property, so it's, it's pretty good. It's a keeper because... Just because it's really got three rentable components, so there's all, like when two, even when two of the the um, places are rented out, it more than covers any holding costs. And so when there's three places rented at the same time, it's really good profit. And most of the time, most of the year, there's three rented out: the two flats and the the commercial property downstairs. It's a yeah, and you would have paid this paid this debt off ages ago. So now it's just just free cash flow. Every single month, just getting paid out to you. And the reno the renovation too, like you'll see that um, grey kitchen. I I did this in about two thousand and fourteen. I think the renovation. I would not choose grey, but the people who were renting, and and I kind of targeted the dem demographic. They were working on the railways. They were national park workers. They were geologists in the local mines. They were, they were blokes with muddy boots. So I was not going to put a white cupboards right through that place, so I did that charcoal grey. It's not my favourite, but, hey, it still looks pretty good. Yeah, great idea. Functional, though. Focus. Yep. Functional. Yeah. Like, actually... It's all laminate, you know, like, you know, renovate to the demographic, renovate to the value of the property. Yeah. yeah. And, and also it's always good to have a chat with your property manager as well in the local area and, and just ask, what does the demographic that live here want? And they'll give you a gold mine of information around stuff you didn't even think about. Um, yeah. Like exactly this. Well, you've got guys here, tra you know, traipsing boots around. I would not be going white. Perfect. Okay. I bet that's probably what you did as well, Belinda, when you went to this little town. What do I need to do? 
yeah, who's there? Who's who am I going to be renting this to? How much will they pay? Um, if I do stone bench tops, am I going to get any more? No, I'm not. Let's not. Let's not do that. Let's just do a lane. Mm. All of that. We got here. Oh, okay, Bev and Trevor. Bev and so Trev. Bev and Trev. <laughs> so they do this on the side. This is not their full time job, but again, look at the difference with the painted brick, paying attention to the roof. Um, doing some decent planting, some I'll call it architectural gardens, but what I actually mean is just clean lines. Clean lines all day long really improve the look of a house. Uh, this is, um, you know, it's not very fancy-pantsy. This is in Toowoomba. So, again, it's perfect for that demographic. My guys are all around Australia. Every, every area is a bit different. Big difference just on that facade shot in terms of the angle of where that picture is taken from as well. This is what I spent so much of my life doing as an estate agent, getting the difference between the left and the right. Yeah. square on or taken from that side angle yeah they vastly different in terms of the architecture look and feel yeah but okay. you would you have taken the straight on shot with the previous property no is that what you're saying no, i mean belinda's um right like they, they've done the work there to make that shine but it's the angle of the photograph that will make that shine even more in terms of the marketing material if you take it from the wrong mm -hmm. angle so it's these little things like a lot of these properties in regional areas the agents couldn't care less they're taken on like an iphone almost there's no attention to detail in the photography and styling and it's the little subtleties like this when you're selling online it's really important to take note of this. It's exactly, Joe, what you just said before. For $150, you can show that your property aerially is very close to a beach. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that there, then maybe when people are flicking through the 27 photos and they don't see that, they're not going to spend the time to go into the Google Maps and have a look really where the actual location is. So for $150, it has a big visual impact on the sale of that property. It's the exact same thing in terms of where you set up the photos from as well. Yeah. We spend a lot of time on that because I think it makes a fundamental difference to how many eyeballs you get on it and the, how long yeah. people stay and stare. Yeah. Um, and and these guys, honestly, if you look at that, it's it's not over the top. It's not an over the top renovation at all. It's just paint. Um, you know, white curtains. They, it's they all just, just nice and clean for that market, it's isn't nice it? Nice and clean and yeah, well cared for. Over occupier and, appeal and perfect yeah. for investors. And, you know, the three-bedroom, one, even better, two-bathroom properties will sell all day long to oldies, downsizing, uh, also to young families, their starter, starter place. Yeah, they're really popular. Yeah. yeah. I've also yeah. found it's just... really easy. Well, you go, Joe. No, no, go, mate. Yeah. I was going to say some really easy wins in terms of renovating those some of those older houses as well as converting them from a three-bed to a four-bed or a two-bed oh, to a yeah. three-bed. Um, you know, a, a stud wall can increase the value by, you know, 10, 15% if it's done well. It's quite amazing how there's a big equity uplift from such a small thing if the floor space, you know, can handle that. I think anything yeah. anything uh, that has some room to move inside and make some internal changes is definitely worth a second look when you're looking at yep. uh, renovation potential. Yeah, a wall is by far the, the – well, paint is the best thing you can do and then – Adding a wall, if you can see two living rooms, you, you can do a little bit more digging and be like, okay, two living rooms, perfect. I can add a fourth bedroom here. How much does fourth bedroom sell for? Oh, wow, there's a $100,000 difference. Okay, I'll spend $3,000 to get something like that. It's a, mm. a no-brainer. Um, okay, what are we looking at the numbers? 
really, it, he, here's the number to focus on. Six-week reno and the profit was 75000 That's pretty good going. Like that. on our, yeah. our that's that's, that's getting up towards yeah. Joey's hourly rate now. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, this is why this is why I think as a property investor or anybody who really wants to be a successful reno, uh, sorry, a successful investor, renovations can really speed up the process of property accumulation. Somewhere in the mix, not not every home, not all the time, but just somewhere in the mix. Yeah, same like with yeah. a new build in in the right area. But I, I don't mean a house and land package. I mean a new build where you, you've done the numbers first. <laughs> okay, let's do one more. <laughs> let's, do, let's do a joint venture partner. Um, okay, so Sue and John did this with a joint venture partner. Are they, I'm trying to think, they, oh, no, Sue and John ran it and the other people just threw in the cash. Um, purchase uh, okay. price two fifty, Renault and holding costs ninety k, buy and sell costs about nineteen thousand, selling price four four nine. It took fourteen weeks, slow on product, and it was over Christmas. And this isn't a regional town, so if you've got only a couple of builders to choose from in some of these smaller towns, and those builders are away on holidays or unavailable, <clears> then you're really you know struggling to find other guys unless you're pulling them in from surrounding towns. Um, so there you go. So it took them 14 weeks, but they made 90K. That's yeah. Good one. Yeah, that is a massive amount of money for yeah. 14 weeks. Um, and when, like, when, when, you, when I think about a renovation, it's like how much energy and effort do I have to expel and hammering and nailing and doing all of that stuff. But when you look at renovation like you should do as a business, like how much – time, energy, and effort do you really need to, in, like how much time, energy, and effort do these guys invest into making this happen um, when they were just not the hands-on hammer and nail? They were, well, I'm remote, so I need to, you know, do the work. But when they outsource everything, like what energy and effort are they actually expelling to make $90,000 profit in 14 weeks? Well, I mean, that was the point with Marcel and that property in Port Augusta. Is she, did, she went there once. It was half renovated when she went there. She didn't even view the property. She bought it through a buyer's agent. Um, so she went there once. Uh, and so it was email, phone. We, we've got such technology now. You can run remote renovations. I did one in Queensland from, I said, said to Brett, that was the easiest reno I've ever done. Just I went to Carpet Court here to choose the carpet and ordered it from their carpet court up there around the corner. You just, you just use whatever resources you have to get the renovation done and people on the ground up there to do the work for you and you sit on your phone and email. That's it. Yeah. So it costs yeah. you a little bit more in labour, but where you pay for somebody else to do the work, you say you could do them all day long because you're not tired at all. Yeah. Yeah. And and you pay the team, like you, you need a core fund. I think one of the things that we saw in the slides was like a core fundamental team that can help you do this type of stuff, um, which yeah. is, you know, where, where Scotty Agate, you, you come in handy to help negotiate, negotiate incredibly well to get the best absolute price on the deal that you're getting to. Um, and where the education, what, what are your, um, where can people learn more Belinda? Because I feel like we, we, I've only just scratched the surface, um, but apparently Australia just scored in the uh, in the in the football and they uh, just so Sam Kerr just scored a wonder goal. 
Well, so sorry, spoiler alert. spoiler alert. No, 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 I'm glad because uh, I just said I'm going upstairs to watch the recording, but girl. I don't want to watch it if we lose. But if we just go off, <laughs> then I'm happy. <laughs> no <laughs> disrespect, I'm so I'm 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 working. No, you haven't, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. That's so funny. No need to apologize, guys. We are we are cracking on. And this okay. isn't this isn't, you know, uh, a you know, a goal out of you know, at penalty, that's a real goal. So go Matildas. Well done. <laughs> yeah. How do people um, how do people get oh. involved with this? Because like the hard thing is renovation is so big. It's a big world. And we were talking about a lot of little topics, but there's so much nuance in every yeah. single little thing that we can we can do. Uh, I, I honestly think that people think renovation is just getting an ugly house and doing it up and then make, they'll make some money. And that's yeah. where I see people you know, they tumble a little bit, they pick the wrong property and they do the wrong type of renovation and it can just be a lot of energy for nothing. So um, there are a lot of moving parts and you have to get a lot right, the buy, the renovate and sell. Um, so you can find me at renovateandrealestate.com.au, renovateandrealestate.com.au. <laughs> That's like a little ad within an ad. <laughs> renovate and real yeah. estate yeah, let me just drop that in there yeah. um now, one of the questions i have yeah actually is is renovation and making money in okay so interest rates have gone up the world has yeah. gone crazy can we yeah. still make money in property in this day and age Oh, like all the results that I just, all those things that I just showed you, they're all pretty current and they're happening all the time. And so yeah, some things have gone up, product price has gone up, some time, you know, our holding costs have gone up if you're holding property and it takes a bit longer to do, but there's still plenty of meat in the sandwich, full stop. Nice. I'm sitting on, I'm so Belinda, been sitting for a while and we'll be in contact soon because you provide oh, nothing but value. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, well, I that's, just love that's it. it. I just love it when people have a go. I love it. And I, and I really, really get excited when it's everything people think it might be. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. incredibly it doesn't rewarding have to be. when you get it right too, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's really yeah. rewarding. Yeah. And I'll give people a hug if they have a bad day. <laughs> 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 they get tired of the dust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Contractors not showing up, and all of the all of the little annoying stuff. It's amazing how much you forget about that when you've got ninety thousand dollars in profit, and then you're like, yes. "Oh, that was so easy." Six months later, That's that was like, the easiest thing ever. Just like up to do it baby. again. Just like having a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'll never do that again. And then fifteen, <laughs> months, 15 oh. months later, you're having another one. Love it. Well, anything else you guys wanted to kind of cover off on? Um, on on this topic is there some some world of renovation anyone in the comments throw throw anything that you've got as well but is there anything you wanted to kind of dive into a little deeper or, or kind of cover off no it's not for me not, everyone's just giving me a hard time about <laughs> wanting to watch the football um, yeah. honestly, I, just, I just think you've got to start somewhere and make every move 
a right move, including buying really well and buying in a good location and doing your research and just believe that in five yeah. years or ten years' time, you know, you'll be in a completely different place than if you were to do nothing at all, full stop. Mm, such a great such a great point. Um, Scott, you help people a lot as well um, in the property investment space. How do they learn more about – because the biggest – actually, this is a point. Buying well is one of the most important things that you can do. I see so many people renovate a deal, and they're incredible renovators, but they're horrendous negotiators, and they buy a property <laughs> – like I have a, I have a friend, and he he's, um, he's not a renovator. He's he, develops property and he's like well my my spreadsheet says i can buy this for 550 so i'm going to buy it for 550 i'm like mate that it's for 520 you can get it for 520 and that thirty thousand dollars is pure profit that you're that you're losing um and scott you would you would see that all the time as well but um yeah can you how, how do people learn about hello house how can you help these people negotiate these better deals because it's that's your renovation budget there yeah, I think almost the opposite is true as well, Joey. From what you just said, then as your example, in terms of your mate that might be over over um, estimating what it's going to cost to buy it, I, I've just seen deer in the headlights, and Belinda will know all about this as well, where people are looking for a renovation project and they just hone in on where they think the value is going to be because it aligns with their visual interpretation of of what they want to do. It might be the beautiful character house they fell in love with in you know, Vogue or Bell magazine, whatever they want to go and recreate or whatever's driven them to get into that mindset that they're going to be a renovator and they'll overpay for those homes um, because they can't see past that's yeah. the vision of what, what they want to do and what they want to create. I think there's a real danger in that as well. So I think one of the key things you've got to do when you're negotiating it, whether you're buying it to renovate or you're buying it for your own home or as an investment property is to detach that emotion Yes. fall back on the comparable sales, fall back on the data, fall back on your feasibility study and make a, mm -hmm. a really crucial business decision about whether this stacks up on the numbers. Nothing more important than when you're renovating than just falling back on the numbers every time. So that's definitely, a, I'd say, the biggest trap for young players when you're renovating is falling in love with those properties um, before you get started and then getting sucked into that emotional end user even though you're you're doing it for profit to sell it. Um Yep, negotiation is key for us. That's what we focus on. So um, hellohouse.co. Um, and, yeah, I'm obviously really active in the page as well in the group. So any questions, tag me in the group and always be happy to share all my knowledge at no cost in there. And, um, yeah, if I, if I can't answer it, I'm sure I can tag someone else in that can give us the right answer. So any of your property problems, um, tag away. Tag away. Um, well, you help. You guys have all helped many people in our group as well. Thank you very much for sharing the wealth of knowledge that you guys do share in the group and outside of the group. Um, and if anyone has any kind of follow-up questions, feel free to throw them. I'm sure you guys are answered, but um, let's leave it at that. Let's go buy a, a renovation property. See you guys well, later. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks so Bye, much. Guys, Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Bye. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together.
Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy property.